I'm Abigail Jacobs with Your USA Profiles, where we get to know the people who make up our community of Gunnawage. In this episode, we talk with David McCumber, who taught at Gunnawage Survival School for 30 years, is a highly regarded cradleboard craftsman and an outdoor survival skills trainer. So thank you for joining me today, Dave. Uh, when I first asked you about coming into studio, you told me it's interesting to be considered interesting. <laughs> It is. I mean, I've been around for a long time teaching children and playing sports and, and uh, kind of just ease into a life, you know, and don't really pay too much attention about who's, uh, who knows you're around or what you're doing or things. You kind of just keep doing things on your own and it's not for, uh, it's not for show or anything, but it is interesting to be found interesting for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you you have, you've done a lot of really cool things in the community. And to begin, we'd just like to know if you could tell us a bit about yourself and your family, just for context for people who might not know you. Well, I mean, I've been married for a long time now, 35 years uh, in a relationship with her for 43. We're as old as the survival school about that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I have uh, two boys, I have two great, beautiful grandchildren that I just adore. And uh, yeah. And um, some people might know you in like from your family, like I know uh, your sister is Holly and uh, you have lots of brothers. And... I have two brothers and my sister Holly, right? And um, growing up in Gunawage, what do you remember most about being part of the community and growing up here? I think it was more community oriented. Everybody walked everywhere. Every... If you're lucky enough, you had a bicycle. Nobody had a car to speak of who was a, a younger person. but. There was community things, a lot of community things that happened, like the swimming pool and the beach and the canoe club, and there was lacrosse, and everybody had gathering points. And yeah, I was involved in in everything that I could be, for sure. I, I was always just super competitive growing up. I loved sports, and I hated losing. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't like it, but I handle it a lot better. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of more community-based feeling it's it, it it seems our town has become a lot more distant because i think of well with all the technology people don't have to go anywhere anymore so i mean there's probably big that uh, i not probably there are big families out there who don't know who they are as a result mm -hmm. because there's just not gatherings like that anymore like there used to be and um what kind of like what were your favorite kinds of gatherings and oh, sports and things yeah. yeah anything sports oriented i was there yeah i was i was just like i said i was competitive i played hockey i played lacrosse i played i spent way too much time at the ball field <laughs> uh, but canoe club in my early teens and uh yeah just 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 outside playing and doing a lot of sports that was my thing cool for sure and then how did you eventually uh, come to your path being led to teaching? I started working when I was 22 and um, I worked for Elmer Jacobs for a lot of years and I was on a couple of different projects in town and Dwayne Stacy asked me, I think it was in 1989, if I would be interested in teaching because I had an educational background. I went to college, uh, I was in university and uh, I went, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be working with you. I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't need that kind of thing in my life. But after 1990 or during 1990, he asked me again if I would be interested. And that was a there was a time when my life started to kind of change around a little bit. And 
the idea of things happening in your life for a reason and there's really no coincidence. So I decided to apply for the job. And um, I remember my interview, I came off of a roof. We were shingling a roof and I went at lunchtime and I was work i was a uh, half a day work dirty and i didn't i didn't smell <laughs> you know um so, especially up on the roof and yeah and it was it was hot summer day right so anyway there were uh, a couple other people who were uh, in the interview waiting and they had you know they were dressed up sharply and i wasn't so i felt a little bit weird but apparently uh i had a good interview and i got the job and um i had to learn how to teach uh, it was one of the scariest things, I think, stepping in front of a whole bunch of teenagers and being the man or, you know, whoever steps in a position like that. It's, pre it's pretty intimidating at first and you have to learn how to do it for sure. Yeah, learning personalities and learning what you can say and what you can't say. <laughs> sometimes the hard way, right? But, yeah. Yeah. But teachers, I think, uh, develop this invisible bag of tricks over a lot of years of teaching and you get that experience. And then in the hmm, late, mid, late nineties, I went back to McGill and I graduated from McGill in 2001, I think. Yeah. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. And then I taught till this year. Wow. Yeah. So when you were first interviewed and hired, what was, was that position, the carpentry program yeah. or? Yeah, it was, uh, I miss that program. It was a, it was a great program. Um, I hope uh, somehow, some way they can find a way to reinstate it because uh, it is important. There's contractors in town who wonder, have asked why are there no students coming up? Because we were like a feeders to the contractors here and we were able to, um, I think, get a lot of people who really struggled academically to be able to find something else that they can be passionate about and eventually make a living out of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, especially working with kids and even just being a kid and trying to find your path. Not everybody works the same. Not everybody's going to just learn from a textbook or be a doctor or <laughs> all those, you know, those stereotypes and things. Um, yeah. Well, education, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, obviously, but there are shortcomings in terms of the system. I think feeling that everybody needs to learn the same thing at the same time, at the same speed. And there's this uh, uh, chronological process of grades 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, where, you know, if uh, somebody's having problems in school, I hate math kind of thing, and I don't want to do this while well, you have to graduate. And there's, <laughs> you know, I, I think education needs to be really more meaningful, especially as people get older. Yeah, they need to, I think, see something that's more tangible rather than abstract in terms of, I mean, honestly, when's the last time anybody really used algebra in their life, right? You know, kind of thing. But it, unless it, you have something that you know you're going to need it for, then you have a practical application. Yeah, right. I mean, but, you know, I remember being in grade nine and going to a guidance counselor and they were asking questions and they gave us aptitude tests and what do you want to be when you grow up? You're 14 years old. Nobody knows, right? I don't know. I don't know what I want to be. Um, I'll figure it out when I get there kind of thing. Um, but the pressure to succeed is always there. Mm -hmm. And some people just don't handle that as well. So having the carpentry program was uh, a real outlet for a lot of people. And they were, you know, like I said, they were able to excel in the program. And they um, there's, a, there's a bunch of people I can name who are 
working in the field now, at least in the construction field, and are doing quite well for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's a tough way to make a good living, but you got to hustle, but it's like that everywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of your former students wanted me to ask you, where do you get all your amazing jokes? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Apparently you are infamous for awesome jokes. Yeah, dad jokes, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, when I when I hear a joke and it makes me laugh, I remember it. <laughs> and um, sometimes I, I just can't help but tell them um, over sometimes and over again. But <laughs> yeah, if I hear something that makes me smile and laugh, I'm going to remember it for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and just, I mean, working with the kids and telling them jokes and things, do you have any proud or fond moments of your time at KSS? Oh, there's a lot of super memorable moments uh, over a span of 30 years, right? I mean, it's like any other relationship. There's ups and downs and you got to learn how to surf, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, there's people you can joke with and, and this is true anywhere and, and there's people you can't. So you got to figure that out. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's way too many instances to um, try and ramble off. You know, we only have what, an hour, <laughs> right? <laughs> But yeah, there was a, no, I had a great time there. I met a lot of great people. Yeah. And so now, uh, just recently, you were featured in a really beautiful mini doc by Gunnarat Doroguas and Gazitza Erdi Paul for Lee Valley, mm -hmm. where they came to your wood shop. Yeah. Well, when Jennifer transferred from a school, in, in, I guess across the bridge, I don't know which school she went to. Mm -hmm. And um, I was doing cradleboard making for the grade nine class it was an exploratory and she came in there and uh, she ended up taking another one or two of my classes as she went into grade 10 and 11. But the amount of cradle boards that got made there over a 30 year period while I was there and I, I, I don't know, I, I guess even before that, so say for the last 35 years, there's like thousands, thousands have gone through, but I guess she had a really positive experience and um, I guess she liked her teacher. I don't know. But yeah. uh, she gave me a call and she asked me if I'd be interested in doing this video. And I said, yeah. But only after I made it, I realized, holy man, I'm going out public now. This is scary. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was, I was nervous about seeing it and kind of public reaction because I don't usually put myself out there like that. But yeah, um, I look at it every, every now and then. I said, oh man, I wish I would have changed this or said something different. But I guess that's true for everybody when they do something like that. Yeah, no, I loved it. And the response that you've been getting seems to be great. Everybody loves the video and loves seeing your work. Well, yeah, um, I have to give credit to a lot of people. I mean, I said this in the video and it's pretty much everything I've learned, like working like that, I've seen other people do. And I just paid attention to what they were doing. And I, I, I had mentioned um, Dorothy Lahash. She was the first one who, who I saw make cradle boards and it was beautiful. I mean, her lines were super immaculate and her paintings were really, really nice. And that was when I, when I think about it, probably was my first inspiration to say, maybe I'm going to try that one day. And um, then I saw, of course, there's Babe Hemlock out there, who's a super artist and Preston Jacobs, who um, works really, really well with wood as well. But just to see people do those kinds of things and then have the courage, I, I guess, or confidence in yourself to finally say, okay, I'm going to try this and do it. And that's what I did. And I've, you know, you're, you keep working at it and hoping that your skills are going to improve and keep pushing a little bit farther. And 
Yeah. Cool. And so what really got you started into the woodwork, like artistry? Because you were a carpenter, you were doing housing and all these kinds of things, but to delve into taking the the artist step. Well, again, the, the term artist is uh, <laughs> relative, right? I mean, subjective yeah. even more. Um, but when you're working, actually, I found when I was working with the kids at school, uh, some people, some of the students progressed faster than the others in terms of finishing a project in a, in a certain time span. So we needed to start to fill in their time. So wood burning and um, a little bit of carving and a little bit more decorative edges and those kinds of things. And I guess as those kinds of things kept coming up, it's a natural progression almost to say, well, what else? What's the next step? What else can we do? What else can we do? And it just kind of goes on from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's that, that would be where it started. And uh, like I said, you have your nice little wood shop. How did you come to get your setup out there? And, and you, you find that a nice creative place for yourself? Like you have everything that you need? And No, I don't have everything I need. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's still things I, that I, that I want to have. I have to go to the, to the toy store and <laughs> buy some things. Um, I, I don't really have a wood shop per se. I, oh, okay. I work in places. I, I have a shelter outside that I can work in under, actually. But it's not heated or anything like that. But I've been able to manage with what I have so far. If I had a bigger space and a shop, that would be awesome. But I don't, so I I do what I can with what I have. But you mentioned, okay, so you have your outdoor shelter. And I know another outlet uh, of that you enjoy is training with outdoor survival skills. Yeah. Um, I When I used to work at Cattery School, I remember you would come in with Tom Scott and you started doing a program with the kids for outdoor survival school. Uh, how did that come to be? Well, years ago, well, my brother-in-law, Tom, went to uh, Tom Brown's and um, that's, a, that's a wilderness survival school in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. Cool. And uh, he ended up uh, creating a passion for that. And then my, he, he got my son into it, Sago Ayosta, and he went to Tom Brown. He went to a couple other different courses and programs. And when, when I saw him go and start to learn and refine skills like that, it, it got me really interested. I guess it was a good way to be a little bit more close with family in, in that sense, because people had common goals and common common um, ideas of what's what's fun. Yeah, right? you're getting into a hobby together. Yeah. You're doing these yeah. activities. And um, as it as it went, Tom Tom started out with um, with with the uh, Cattery School program, and it got expanded to Gurian Nunha and uh, the Survival School and. We took up to 30 students camping overnight in the, in the Eastern townships, and they were able to set up their own shelter, start their own fires, uh, boil their own water, make their oatmeal. And I mean, they're in grade five and six, and it's a big accomplishment for them. But learning, learning how to just, I guess, basically be comfortable in an outdoor setting without having to panic is what we're trying to, I guess, teach to people who might otherwise say, well, it's too cold out, it's raining. Uh, <laughs> my idea of roughing it is a three-star hotel kind of thing. You know? <laughs> no, let's yeah. unplug them. Yeah, and, yeah uh, kind of getting disconnected to reconnect, right? Because everybody's on computers and everything all the time. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, there's great information on there, but what I found in, in looking at skills like that is they'll show you how to do something, but they won't tell you how to do it. Yeah. There's so many other little things that you learn as you practice the skills and to be able to, 
be a part of something like that and teach people who are willing to or wanting to learn those kinds of things at whatever level they want to push it to is a lot of fun. Yeah. Again, it comes kind of like the same with what you said with your carpentry program and your woodworking. It's all, it's these practical skills. And then as you start to build on it, what's the next? What can, what else can we do? Where can we improve? Yeah. I mean, if you talk about fire or anybody talks about building a fire, a lot of people, uh, hey, I need matches, a little gasoline, or I'm good to go. Right. But to be able to start a fire from natural materials harvested from the landscape is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. To identify plants and, uh, make tinder out of, uh, cambium layers of a certain kind of tree is it takes time but it's it's really makes people feel like you've actually accomplished something it's rewarding and it's intrinsic right it's so it's so you see a fire and you, you see people's eyes light up and they smile because they've been able to create this thing from maybe a bow drill kit or uh, even uh, for the first time using a striker whatever method they might use yeah well and that's i mean you just even saying it i wouldn't know where to begin but to know that you can, like, I mean, you can, you can, and you have that skill set and you pass on that skill set to be able to just look around and be out there and connect and use the land around you. One of the things in, in working and teaching skills like that is um, trying to get people to slow down. I mean, we're, we're in a pretty uh, quick society lifestyle where we're usually headed from point A to point B with purpose and we don't really pay attention to what's around us. I have to go to the post. I have to, I have to, I have to. <laughs> and we and we move along during our days. And by the time the day's over, we're too pooped to do anything else. Then we start it all over again tomorrow. But these kinds of skills force a person, I think, to step back and reevaluate where they are in the in their in their landscape kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what kind of tree is that? Uh, what kind of plant is that? There's a really nice rock that I might be able to use later and just slowing down and taking, taking it all in. Ooh, there's, there's birds I never heard before. Or there's, there's so many things out there that we walk by without even really giving it a second thought. Mindfulness. It sound, even just you explaining it makes me feel calmer. And that sounds really nice. Um, <laughs> what kind of impact do you see when you're working with the students with that kind of stuff? And, and like you said, you know, they, they light a fire and you can see it on their face that they're like, whoa, I did that. So far, it's been my experience that people that I've been able to work with and help out at whatever level I can, um, they always, you know, and Tom and, and my son and other people that I work with who, who have these skills to share, people leave full. They're, they, they feel like kind of what you expressed a moment ago of, I wouldn't know where to start, but now look what I did. And they're, and they're happy and they feel like they've actually accomplished something that is going to be useful in a, in another setting at another time. But usually they're, they're, they're pretty, pretty full of, of information and that success that they have. But the other side of that is that for every success you have, you're going to have at least one or two or three failures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So learning, learning through the failure and, and not taking it as a negative thing, but turning it around and saying, okay, so that didn't work. What can I try next? What can I try next? For sure. And it's still teaching, but it's teaching in a, in a whole, different, whole different setting and mindset rather than the systematic thing that's out there right now in, in every school, in everywhere, mm -hmm. right? Um, Every, every school across the nation teaches uh, pretty much the same curriculum, basically. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's, there certainly are different uh, aspects that happen of, of teaching and, and uh, learning different things, but 
it's it's pretty much all the same but learning in a place that's where there's no judgment and uh it doesn't matter uh we're not on a schedule if you need to take more time to work with this skill or that skill then go ahead take your time and uh shout out if you need help we'll be right over kind of thing yeah. No report cards, no parent-teacher <laughs> meetings, yeah, all those kinds of things that are really, really um, taxing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like that kind of system, I guess, it builds better people. Well, it helps build people, whether, whether it's better or not. I mean, you know, some people thrive in academia and some people mm. don't, like we started at the beginning, right? And um, I think that if whatever kind of situation people are put in, if they make the best of it, then, then there's success. If, but if you're not happy doing it and it becomes this mundane, boring, I hate it kind of day where I, where I don't even want to get up and go anymore, then yeah, that's, that's a whole different kind of story. Yeah. yeah. And so now for your next, I don't want to sound uh, silly here, but your next chapter, you know, you're, you're looking forward, you're three weeks into retirement now. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about those schedules or anything like that anymore. What are you looking forward to for retirement? Um, not much, really. I, I mean, <laughs> no, seriously. I want to keep teaching uh, these kinds of skills if I can, for sure. There's, there's a lot of people all over the place who are dying to learn them. And um, I, I, was, I was recently up near, um, um, it'll come to me, but we were working with a group of people who are from Montreal. And just teaching them basic skills, like how to tarp and how to put up bridge lines and things like that. And they just had so many questions. They were so keen on learning just another thing and practice and practice and practice. And they would just sit there and watch people have these kinds of successes is is really cool. But to be able to just continue teaching on, uh, carrying on something like that would be really cool. Um, I don't know how long term it's going to be, but there's going to be always people who want to learn skills. I also recently went to uh, Oneida and I did a cradleboard making workshop there. Nice. Yeah. So I gave one there and I'm in contact right now with Tandanega and they're looking to have one as well. Nice. So I, I don't know. Um, sometimes the phone rings for something and sometimes yeah. it doesn't, but it's real nice to be able to not have to get up and have to go to work and have to have to do all those things. And sometimes just on purpose, I'll drink a coffee at 7.45 on the dot because that's when I'm <laughs> supposed to actually would have normally been Routine at. Routine is yeah, nice. Yeah. So, well, you know, your feet up and just kind of chilling out. Yeah. Cool. Are there any big uh, like portage trips or anything like that? Any places that you want to see to do your camping and, and hiking? and? Well, not necessarily. I mean, right now with everything that's going on in the world uh, and COVID restrictions and kind of put a damper on on things because now people aren't allowed in or mm. you know but yeah i've been fortunate enough to have traveled a little bit in my lifetime and and seen some things uh, a couple of times we went on with trips with students one to the southwest and one mm. to calgary and banff area in the rocky mountains and cool but being a, having to travel now is uh getting on airplanes it's a real ordeal oh yeah yeah you know so it, it it's it's kind of um a setback for for people but i mean there's we have we have so many places around around quebec that you can get into like well i mean jordodu is just an example there's a lot of people who who know it in like the back of their hand there's a lot of people who just never get off the road either mm-hmm. you know so there's a there's a lot of places and a lot of things that can be done with what we have access to for sure 
Well, thank you for taking the time with us today. And thank you for investing in so many of our young community members for all of your career. Because I know firsthand from my nephews and my brother-in-law and so many other community members how much of an impact you've made. You know what? It, it was, you know, thinking back a little bit and having the opportunity, having had the opportunity to work with so many people over the years, uh, students and staff alike. Just, I just, so many, so many amazing people have crossed my path and I've been fortunate enough to be able to work with them for all this time. And I think that um, in retrospect, it's made me certainly a better person because of all of the contacts I've had with all of these people over, the, over these years. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm Abigail Jacobs for Your Diwaze Profiles. Stay up to date with all Your Diwaze podcasts, including The Lead, Front Page, The Cycle, and Profiles by following the Your Diwaze podcast channel on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Your Diwaze would like to thank the Community Media Strategic Support Fund for supporting this initiative. views and opinions of the guests expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of your and its employees.